Good morning. If you remember nothing from this message today, I want you to remember one line. Jesus loves you. And if you love Jesus, you will be called to stand out for him. Jesus loves you. And if you love Jesus, you will be called to stand out for him. Last week, Pastor Rob spoke a message. What chapter of Daniel are we in? He talked about Daniel chapter 1, Daniel chapter 3, Daniel chapter 6. Today I'm going to look more at Daniel chapter 1. Next week I'm going to be speaking again. Hopefully you caught that. Today I'm speaking on Daniel chapter 1. Next week we're going to speak about Daniel chapter 3. We need to stand out as Christ followers. Because, and the reason I say that is because we live at a time now more than any other, I believe, in Western civilization, where it's harder for Christians to stand out. And there is a greater need for us to stand out. Daniel was called to stand out when Babylon, which is modern day Iraq, was a dominant culture. His culture, he, was, he lived in Jerusalem, he was Jewish, actually from the tribe of Judah. And his culture was fading out, his beliefs, the beliefs in the God of Israel, the belief of what the Bible said and the words that had been handed down from Moses. That, that belief was, 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 oh, that's so old-fashioned, we don't do that anymore. This is 3,000 years ago we're talking about, or two and a half, 2,600 years. Dealing with the same problems. And Daniel's worldview was all based on the word of God. But that wasn't the popular worldview, the word of God. It wasn't popular. Already it had become unpopular. And the popular worldview was anything that had nothing to do with the God of Israel. And in the middle of this, God calls Daniel to stand out and to allow his convictions to be tested. Dr. Paul House says this of the book of Daniel. Daniel offers us instruction, not entertainment, hope, not despair, and endurance, not surrender. And I hope that we can look at Daniel chapter 1 today and have the hope to endure. Now, I want to paint the picture for you. Daniel's from the tribe of Judah. And Judah had been under the rule and the kingdom of Judah. So each of the tribes had their own little kingdoms. There wasn't a united nation of Israel at that time. And uh, Judah was the, the, the kingdom that uh, had rule over Jerusalem. That's where Daniel lived. Now that had been under Assyrian rule for about 60 years. And then Nebuchadnezzar comes along. He defeats the Assyrians. And so then he assumes control of Jerusalem and where Daniel lives. And so he finds himself in a place that's very interesting. I'll tell you why. Because the only reason that Nebuchadnezzar, who was the, the king of the Babylonians, the only reason he was able to defeat the kingdom of Judah was because the God of Israel actually allowed it. The Bible actually tells us that God empowered Israel's enemy to defeat Israel. So we can think, well, that's weird. Why would God do that? Why would God allow persecution to come upon his own people? That just seems mean. I'll tell you why. Because they'd lost their way. He wasn't their God anymore. 
They, they, they'd started worshipping idols. They were only interested in political power. That's all they were interested in. They were not interested in God's laws. They were not interested in God's commandments. Nothing. Covenants, nothing. And, and we see a principle established here that still exists today, and that is this. God's canopy of protection is removed when we become disobedient to his word and to the convictions that he points us to. We, we lose the protection. And that's what happened. So Daniel finds himself in a hostile culture, but God, as he did in the Old Testament, and he also does in the New Testament, he says, you know what, Daniel? Even though this situation that you find yourself in is, is not good, I'm gonna use it for good. We know that in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, for we know that all things work together for good to them who love Christ Jesus and are the called according to his purpose. That basically says things will happen to you in life. Not all of them will be good, but all of them will be used for good. We don't like that, but that's the way that God works. So Daniel's situation is this. Nebuchadnezzar takes control of Jerusalem. And what he wants to do is he basically wants to assume a, 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 a posture of indoctrination to rid Judah of their belief in the God of Israel. So he says to his chiefs, I need you to go to Jerusalem and I need you to get the smartest and the best looking young people and then bring them back to Babylon. This is literally what happens. Because if we can indoctrinate over the next three years the best looking, smartest young people, then we'll be able to totally rid the culture from the next generations. You see how evil he thought. So basically Nebuchadnezzar had the idea, let's get them all up to Babylon, which is about 500 miles north of Jerusalem. So they arrive there and the very first thing that happens to them there is that they're given new names. So Daniel is renamed Belteshazzar, Hananiah is renamed Shadrach, Mishael is renamed Meshach and Azariah is renamed Abednego. Now we know Daniel by his Jewish name and we know Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego by their new Babylonian names. What that means is it doesn't matter what name the world calls you. What matters is who you live for. That's what matters. And so, so what happens here is their names, interestingly, because if you don't understand Hebrew, every name in Hebrew means something. There's a meaning to names. And so Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael all four of their names had the word, uh, a word in them that pointed to God. So wherever you see the words, uh, the letters E-L together, or the letters A-H-R or L, that in the name, that means it's a name that points you to God, the God of Israel. What they did was they, the Babylonians took out those names and gave them four new names. And you know what their four new names meant? There is no God of Israel. This is the false God that your name now means. That's a, pretty, that's a pretty crazy thing to have happen. But Daniel doesn't stand out about it. Doesn't say boo about that at all. So they get the new names. Then they're told, hey, listen, you're gonna be indoctrinated for the next three years. We're gonna teach you our ways 
and get your ways out of you. Daniel doesn't stand out. He says, oh, okay. Then they say, okay. And by the way, over the next three years, what we're going to do is we're going to feed you the same food that the king gets fed. You're going to have the same food. In other words, and that was a big deal in those days because, uh, you know, paupers just literally got the scraps of the tables along with the dogs. So to be able to eat the same food the king was eating, that's a big deal. So the one good thing out of the three things that happen, that happens to be the thing that Daniel decides to stand out about. So he goes, whoa, 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 time out. I can't eat the king's food. Like, I can't, I can't eat that. Like, I can't eat the meat and all the, the, the wine and all that. Uh, you know what I need? I need veggies, nuts, and I can't even do chicken. Do you know why he did that? I'll tell you why. Verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself in the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. But Daniel, if you and I are going to have a but moment, it's going to start in our heart. Daniel purposed in his heart. What was in Daniel's heart? I'll tell you what was in Daniel's heart. The word of God. What God's ordinances were. That's what was in Daniel's heart. Daniel didn't object to the name given to him. You know why? Because he didn't care because he knew who his identity was. Daniel didn't care about the indoctrination process for the next three years. You know why? Because he knew what he believed. He knew that 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 was not going to be beaten out of him. But he did object to eating the king's food because it was in direct violation of what God's word told him to do. So he nicely asked the chief if he could eat different food and drink. And the chief says this, look, it's not a big deal to me. I actually don't care. But it's not going to work out well for you or for me if you eat your new diet and after a little while you start to look thin and emaciated and you don't look healthy because I'll get in trouble for not looking after you. So Daniel says, I've got a great idea and he has his second standout moment. He says, why don't you test us? Why don't you give us the food that I'm asking for and then just see how it works after 10 days? Now, here's why this is a standout moment. He's asking the chief to go to Nebuchadnezzar and ask him this. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, this guy's not normal. He's a mental case. Do you understand? Like this guy is like, he's literally a psychopath. This is a guy who, to the previous king of Judah, went and captured the king of Judah and his sons. You know what he did? He got his sons and he murdered them right in front of the king of Judah. Like right in front of him, like just feet away, murdered them. Then he walks up to the king of Judah and he gouges out the eyes of the king of Judah so the last thing that that king would ever remember was watching his own sons be murdered. Then another thing Nebuchadnezzar did was when he decided that he wanted to make a spectacle of some people from Judah, he put them on a a spit, put them over an open fire and just roasted them alive. I mean, Daniel knows this and yet he says, no, I'm going to stand out for this. See, there's no such thing as a risk-free, safe path for you and I living to our convictions. Sometimes it will fly in the face of our own personal safety like it did for Daniel. Daniel could have said, why would I risk my life for the God that allowed me to be in a time of trouble? If God really loved me, I wouldn't be in this trouble in the first place. Does it sound familiar? So how did Daniel approach following his convictions? 
Here's an important point. He took into, uh, into, into account the feelings and the thoughts of the chief that he was talking to. He wasn't rude. He wasn't arrogant. He wasn't defiant. He made his request with love and kindness. He used wisdom with his standout moment. James 3, 17, James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this. James, by the way, you have to understand, was not a Christ follower while, until Jesus ascended, until he saw his own brother raised from the dead. Then he went, oh, I guess he really is the Messiah. They lived with him in the same house. Just, I'm giving that to you as free. Okay, that's got nothing to do with sermon, just free. James says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. That's what it looks like to wisely follow your convictions. If you want to know how to wisely follow what you feel convicted about right now, get James 3.17 and stick it everywhere in your house. Because Daniel has this wisdom with how he approaches his convictions, God is actually given the opportunity to come through. And he passes the test. Verse 15 of Daniel 1. And at the end of 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were about to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Why did he get that? Because of his standout moments. This is what I think is important. God honoring convictions bring God given rewards. God given and God honoring convictions bring God given rewards. And I think I think right now we need to assess our convictions. And we need to ask ourselves if our convictions are God honoring or self-honoring? Are they honoring what we want to stand for, what we want to stand for? Or are we honoring what God wants us to stand for? Because there is a difference. One's selfish, the other one is not. One's right and one is wrong. There's many people in the Bible had standout moments. Esther, Esther chapter four. If you, in fact, just read Esther. It's a great, you want to talk about a standout moment? Esther, I mean, she like, Single men, if you're in, if you're in, you should just be praying for an Esther, okay? You just, you want an Esther, trust me. This woman had it all, okay? She was like stinking amazing. And she was put in a position where she was the only person that could save the children of Israel, the Jewish, the only person. But the only way she could do it was she had to go into the king's presence and ask him to be uh, gentle with her people. But you weren't allowed to in those days go and speak to the king unless the king said, you can come and speak to me. And, and you could be immediately put to death. So she's pre prepping to go in. And her people around her, they're going, look, we really appreciate that like you want to save us. But like if you go in there, like you're just going to die and then you're no good to any of us. You know what Esther says in Esther chapter four? She says, I'm going to the king. And if I die, I die. She did the head thing. Just like that. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, and, and you know what? We know the story, it worked out. That's a, that's a pretty awesome standout moment. Moses has a standout moment. He's raised in, the, in, in Pharaoh's palace in Egypt. Then he's called to lead the children of Israel 40 years through the wilderness. 
That's a standout moment. Elijah had a standout moment when he was called to be a prophet when every single person was against him. He even said this, he said, I'm the only one left and they're trying to kill me too, but I will do what you have told me to do, oh God. That's a standout moment when everybody else is against you. The Apostle Paul has his standout moment. He goes from persecuting Christians to standing up for them. But of course, the person that has the most ultimate standout moments is Jesus himself. And he will always be the person we point to. Do you know what? Let me tell you what some of Jesus' convictions were. I think, I think this will help us work out what we should have as our own convictions. Jesus' convictions. The first one was that greatness only comes through serving others. Mark chapter 10. Son of man did not come to serve, sorry to be served, but to serve. Very clearly, he was convicted about that. He was convicted that people would need to know him and follow him if they were to have salvation. Matthew 10, 32. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will confess before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who's in heaven. So he had a conviction that he was the gateway. He was it. Why? Because he was going to live the life and pay the price that nobody else did. His third conviction was that ultimate satisfaction can only come from God. John chapter four, Jesus answered and said to the woman, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give them will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus had a conviction that we needed to hear the word of God, not just read it. In Mark four, Mark seven, Luke four, Jesus repeatedly says, take heed of what you hear. In other words, he knew that people would read the Bible but not get it and they wouldn't apply it. But he had a conviction. Why? Because John 1, 1 tells us you can't separate Jesus from his word. He is the word in flesh. That's who he is. He's the incarnate glory of God and it's made manifest in the, in, in the word of God. When we read the word of God, there's something tangible about Jesus. It's not a book. It's a Holy Spirit inspired covenant between God and us. Jesus was convicted that with, with the word of God in us, we would succeed. He was convicted that God was his own father. This is a conviction that's a standout moment because by saying that, he could be put to death at any time. In Mark chapter 14, he calls God Abba Father. Something that he could have been killed for. And then he had this, this conviction that we all know in John 3.16. That was Jesus' conviction. John 3.16 was Jesus' ultimate conviction. For God so loved the children of Israel that he gave his only son. Is that what it says? That's what they all thought it should have said. That's why it was a standout moment. Had he said that, it wouldn't have been a standout moment. But when he said, for God so loved the world, you see, that was the first time that they'd realized that Jesus was gonna die for everybody. See, if we're going to have convictions like Jesus, we have to understand the difference between convictions and beliefs. Okay? Howard Hendricks said this, a belief is something that you will argue for. A conviction is something you will die for. And in a world that is divided by beliefs and convictions, we can only look to the word of God. So let me read a passage to you that's a fairly lengthy one. It's from Romans chapter 14. 
receive one who is weak in the faith, but do not to disputes, but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day above another. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day, observes it to the Lord. He who does not observe the day, to the Lord he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord. For he who gives thanks to God, he does. he who does not eat. To the Lord he does not eat and gives God thanks. For none of us lives to himself. No one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we're the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. But why do you judge your other brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Let me tell you, Christians can now do and always will have different convictions. And it is possible for you and the person you're sitting next to this morning to have opposite convictions. But we are not allowed to argue or quarrel or squabble over them. We're not allowed to judge other people for having different convictions than us. What we do need to do is be fully convinced of our own conviction in our own mind. That's, that's it. That's between you and God. And then live out your convictions with love. And then understand that there are some things that are not disputable. I'll tell you what one of them is, and it's the greatest one. And it's the one that I, I, I show no flexibility in whatsoever. Zero. Why? Because it's a pretty easy statement that Jesus is the only way to God. That's not a disputable, that's not for, I, I don't need to know whether that's somebody's conviction or that to me is a statement of fact. It's a belief, it's a conviction. It's the only thing that guarantees my eternal hope. That's it. But there's not a lot of those. But yet we live as if they're all equal to that statement. So how does all this play out for Daniel? Let's read the last couple of verses of Daniel chapter one, verse 19. Then the king interviewed him and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. Do you know it records their Jewish names? See, even though, even though they were given new names, the Bible says it couldn't change who they were. Therefore, they started serving before the king. And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in his realm. And thus, Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. You know what's really interesting about that? Nebuchadnezzar was the king that destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. And Daniel got to live until Nebuchadnezzar died. And then King Cyrus came. And King Cyrus was the guy that said, hey, we've got to let the Jewish people rebuild their temple. So in one, from the, the change of one generation, it went from let's destroy Israel to let's allow them to build again. And Daniel got to see it. Men and women of God who follow godly convictions are 10 times better because 
of what they follow. 10 times better. Standing out for God-honouring convictions will make you 10 times better. Daniel got to outlive the Babylonian Empire, but even if you and I do not get to outlive the culture in which we currently exist, the legacy of a life that is lived out for conviction for God and for His purposes will be eternal. That's what you and I are called to have. A legacy that lasts beyond us being on this planet. Our legacy can outlast anything if it's centred on Jesus. Jesus loves you. And if you're going to live for Jesus, you will be called to stand out. We need to make sure that our convictions point people to Jesus. I have a challenge for you this morning. That we would each take time to assess our convictions that we have right now at this moment. And if you and I have any convictions that are not God honouring and do not point people to Jesus, that you'll lay them down. And then you'll pick up the convictions that point people to Jesus and they're God honouring. And then that's between you and God. The Bible says that the only person that needs to be convinced is you in your relationship with God. But you don't have to convince other people why you have your conviction. Just have your conviction. And then live by your conviction. Just make sure it's God honouring and points people to Jesus. Don't argue, don't squabble. If we're going to do anything, we're going to give this world a hope right now, which it desperately needs. And that hope can be found in one person, one person only, and that's Jesus. I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, pray, Lord, that you would just allow us today to lay down any convictions in our heart and in our lives that are not honouring to you, that don't point people to your Son. Jesus, allow us to live every day convicted of what you were convicted about. Let us have your convictions. Let us have your heart. Let us have your desire for people. I pray, Lord, that it would be no longer I who lives, it would be Christ who lives in me. In Jesus' name I pray.